Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Do you fear the dentist? What if it meant that you could improve your power output, decrease pain, and align your spine for optimal performance? This is what Dr. Greg Euchert has been working on for over 10 years. He's been assisting athletes with bite and mouth guards, which have enabled them to train harder than they ever thought possible. The long list of pro athletes includes our very own John Wellborn, who has raved the results since his time in the NFL. Learn how you can take advantage of this subtle but drastic impact on performance. This is episode 279. Dr. Greg, give us an intro, man. Well, my name's Greg Eckert. I'm a, I'm a general dentist here in Austin, Texas, but uh, I like to, to moonlight as a, as a sports scientist, essentially. And uh, it, it all kind of started for me back um, in the uh, uh, cigar swing dance days. Believe oh, it or yeah. not, yeah, believe it or not. I had a patient friend of mine. She was the best swing dancer in Austin. Ground her teeth like a beast, literally. Wore them down half the height they ought to be. Made her night guard after night guard after night guard. Concurrent with all this grinding was a lot of headache, neck ache, jaw joint pain, and I couldn't seem to fix it. Um, she taught me how to swing dance really well, and then she cheated on me and went and huh. saw a different dentist. And yeah. she came to me and she said, hey, look, awesome. I went and saw this dentist and he, you know, he hooked these electrodes up to me and he did this thing to me and he aligned my jaw and he made me this thing and my headaches are gone. I'm like, wow, what did you do? So I went and found out about it. And that's how I learned about what I do in my practice, neuromuscular dentistry. And it was a technique uh, invented in the late 60s by a dentist named Bernard Yankelson out of Seattle. Bernard Yankelson was a prosthodontist, a dentist that got some advanced training after dental school to learn how to uh, work with complex restorative cases. He really loved doing dentures. Dentures are difficult because there's really no starting point. There's no teeth to touch. So it's kind of like, all right, well, where do I put the teeth so that the jaws line up, yada, yada. He decided to use ultra low frequency tens. Um, a lot of people are familiar with tens. This is a little different. It's zero, 0. 0.76 hertz. It's really meant to relax the muscles that support the jaw. So we, just for reference, if you were using like a power dot unit, you could kick it up to like 100, 110. And I think you activate fast switch muscle fibers over like 105 to like 135, let's say. So mm -hmm. he's using less than one, would you say 0.75? Yes. Yeah. 0.76. So, so to 0 0.76. So, um, I, uh, so we use that to relax the muscles that support the jaw. So we're talking to the trigeminal nerve, trigeminal nerve talks to the muscles that support the jaw. We find physiologic rest of the jaw. And then from there, we can find out where should the optimal position be for the teeth to touch. So we would, and that's where we would, he would treat patients. And so he started restoring his, uh, his um, prosthodontic patients with this technique. Concurrent with him using this technique, there was a guy down in, in South, Southern California in uh, San Diego named Jim Gary. Jim Gary was a pediatric dentist, but also an orthodontist. And so he was treating lots of kids that he was noticing abnormal growth and development on. Um, and he got very interested in using this technique to help grow kids in the right way so that their airways were well open, their heads were aligned, their necks were straight. So doing orthopedics essentially, you know, with his orthodontics. So these two guys pioneered this technique and uh, to this day it's still being used as a really good way to effectively treat TMJ, TMD patients. Uh, I learned this technique from my direct mentor, his name's Clayton Chan. He teaches out of uh, Las Vegas. 
but he's probably the world's preeminent um, uh, neuromuscular teacher and clinician. Has a lot of pain patients flying to see him that have been the wanderers all over the place to try to figure out what's going on with their headaches, neck aches, jaw joint problems, numbness in their hands, feet, sciatica, weird things relative to jaw relationship, misaligning head, and then that misaligning spine. So learning this from him, I was out there at one point, and there was a group that uh, was putting together a team of dentists to begin using this technique to help enhance performance on athletes. So this kind of sounds like a Fast and Furious plot. Like, get an elite <laughs> team together for one last job. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. A bunch Dom, of, I'm going to need your team. A bunch of nerdy dentists working with athletes, you know. And uh, I think they kind of targeted me because I sort of looked like an athlete, and I raced my bicycle, and I was from Austin, and they knew I knew people that were from Austin and yada, yada. So anyhow, I kind of got into it. Um, Eventually ended up meeting a guy named Alan Lim. Alan Lim's a PhD, sports physiologist guy. I believe he invented the power meter, uh, the very first one that was used to start training cyclists. Um, he put a strain gauge in a rear wheel of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a bike wheel. And then he started using that instead of heart rate to train uh, endurance athletes. Now it's become the gold standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So met Alan at Mellow Johnny's and then showed him what I was doing. And he said, hey, come up to Boulder. So I went up to Boulder, and I was working with some elite cyclists up there, and we were working out of a cool little hotel there in Boulder. And next thing I know, you know, this guy pops in the front door, and Alan had called this guy named Kelly Sturette and said, hey, Kelly, come over here and see what this wacky dentist is doing to these athletes. And uh, Kelly shows up, and I just finished fitting one of the CrossFit girls from up there in Boulder that had a shoulder problem. And the way we were testing, you know, the way the head position affected um, physiologic output on the athletes was basically just doing like balance tests, strength tests, center of gravity tests, some things like that that were very balance bracelet-esque, but I didn't know anything else. I'm a dentist. I know about teeth. I knew TMD a little bit, but I didn't know the complete connectivity of the jaw relationship to the head and then things all the way down to the feet, how it can be affected that way. So descending misalignment problems. Kelly comes in, I just fit this athlete. He had been working with her because she had a right shoulder issue of some sort. Um, so instead of, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I just fit her, let me show you what I do. He's like, no, 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 no. He goes, lay down on the floor. And so she laid down on the floor and her right shoulder was a bit lifted up off the floor, the one that was the issue. He goes, okay, now open your mouth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen here? I think he's about to ruin the gig, you know? He's mm -hmm. gonna blow it up for me. Put the bite registration in her mouth, aligned her jaw, her shoulder fell back. He said, I get it. I know exactly what's going on. He goes, you're dealing with upper cervical misalignment that's masquerading itself as other issues within the body. So in her situation, her jaw alignment was off enough to the point that it had literally pulled her head forward and it lifted her shoulder up. So when we aligned the jaw and the jaw went down and forward, the head went back and the shoulder went back. Mm -hmm. Now, I can say that pretty easily now because I've been doing this for 12 years. And, you know, going through the School of Hard Knocks with guys like Kelly and, you know, other people that I've met through Kelly, you know, I've eventually gotten to the point where I was working with a bunch of players in, in the National Football League. And we were being brought in to help address injuries that were really seemingly untreatable, you know. So um, had been doing that for five or six years. And through Kelly, I met John, been making some of these performance guards for John. And that's really why I'm kind of sitting here is to talk to you guys about sports performance and then mm -hmm. also um, injury mitigations, you know, including not just those kind of weird, wacky things, but also things like concussion. And if we know anything about Wellborn, if there's voodoo in the air, he'll find oh, it. Oh, <laughs> you know me. I, um, and I mean that in an endearing no, way, uh, Dr. Greg. You know, it, it, um, when Kelly called me, uh, he asked me, he goes, well, you know, what do you think about mouthpieces? I'm like, um, 
she's I was always a big proponent of them. One for a couple of reasons. One, I knew I could hit harder, and two, the guys that I knew that weren't wearing mouthpieces, I knew I could wear out faster than the guys that were. So if a guy was playing without a mouthpiece, had his mouth open, and I knew I hit him enough times in the head, I knew he was going to give up. Um, I always looked at it like a you know the only open circuit in the body is the mouth. You know, when you have your mouth open, it's really the only open circuit. So when you can actually align that jaw and get into a perfect bite, uh, I know you're dramatically stronger. And I knew I was, I could hit harder with a mouthpiece than I could without it. And it just, you know, and I just remember going in and watching guys make, oh, this dude ain't got a mouthpiece, I'm gonna fucking get him. And I would just go hard to the head and fucking try to, um, try to hurt him. Uh, so when you talked to me about it and Kelly called me, I'm like, dude, custom mouthpieces, I've always um, been a believer, but the problem came down to when they would come in, they would fit us for mouthpieces. There was really no rhyme or reason. They just, you know, oh, that looks good. Uh, I would just um, go get kind of the disposable ones, heat them up in hot water, and kind of put them in, and I just would suck as hard as I can, and then I would just kind of bite down until my back molars were kind of uh, into a good position, and I knew that that position was a better one. And when you went and kind of aligned me, it was funny because you were kind of aligning it off of the front, and we kind of played with the initial one, and we're doing the shock, and we did the muscle testing and everything. And I remember thinking, like, man, this is um, this is exactly what I was searching for. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, you know, I've always been a big believer. Um, the recovery guard for me is a night and day uh, game changer for sleep. Um, I tend, and I'm sure like a lot of people, uh, you get into this lazy sleep pattern of just breathing through your mouth because it's easy. Uh, you know, if you get any kind of, um, I guess you could say, like congestion or any issue, especially like, uh, you know, in the upper head, ton of hits. When um, And to take it a step further, when I went out and I saw Dr. Bueller for the first time, I don't know if you met Craig Bueller or if I told you about him. He's the one that does the activated, integrated muscle technique. He's in Kaysville. Dr. Bueller came in and he did that cranial manipulation where they put a balloon in the nose and he, uh, he inflates it and kind of um, basically cracks the, the skull and kind of resets the stitches because, you know, you think that the brain is, uh, you know, just a, a, a mass of, uh, of bone, but it actually is flexible. And Dr. Bueller's contention was that some of the headaches and some of the concussions, what it ends up doing causes calcification and the stitches end up getting kind of, you know, blogged down. So he can go in and through this manipulation, crack the skull. Uh, the first time he did it for me, it was like changed my whole life. I mean, I remember I got up and I was like, I had this weird pressure. And he's like, think about all the hits you've had and, you know, what the body's done in terms of, you know, laying down, you know, uh, scar tissue, bone, whatever it needs to. So when he'd cracked it and then he did it for Luke and it same. was, it was yeah. the same deal. Luke's like, oh my God, my whole life's changed. And so I, I find like, if I don't know, I put it on my Instagram when I got it done here with our doc up in Round Rock. And I find that I just... I hit my face or head on hard shit randomly, like I'm clumsy, or like the dog will headbutt me, or mm -hmm. which was what really jammed me up was at my bachelor party. A buddy jumped in a pool and took a knee like right in, right under my eye, in my cheek, and I just felt what I understood of the adjustment to like just shift up, and I could feel that pressure. And I'm like, man, I need to get that nasal specific yeah. as soon as possible, and it just changes yeah. me. So when um, Dr. Bueller did that for me. Um, there was a kind of an interesting thing where I, I, I went and I remember I, I had like a great sleep and I could breathe through my nose really well. And then over time, I started losing the ability to breathe through my nose. And I go back and see Dr. Bueller, he manipulates it and it's fine. And so what he says is, uh, you know, over time we start kind of, you know, things start changing, obviously. So I find when I wear the recovery guard and I bite down, I'll, I'll breathe through my nose without issues. But if I don't wear it, I tend to breathe through my mouth and I have a terrible sleep. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Doc Inkledon sent me this a ResMed deal, which has got like a nasal pillow hooked up to a kind of like a like a little silent CPAP deal, and I'll wear that sometimes. 
uh, since the dog destroyed my, you know, bike guard or recovery guard that you gave me like five years ago. So we got, you know, I know we got another one coming. So, uh, but it's really just either or, either I'll wear that rest med or this. And if I don't, my sleep is awful. And I, you know, and I think it comes from probably, you know, the fact that I have a shoulder issue and then every time you roll over, you wake up. But I find that if, um, uh, two things. One, I read somewhere that the reason that people roll over and start moving in bed is always looking for a cooler part of the bed. So I ended up mm. um, buying a uh, what was it like the cool pad? Yeah, the cool, yeah, um, yeah, cool something. But it's a pad that you can that cool the pumps cool water, so you can actually uh, you know lower the uh, temperature of your bed. So I've been using that, and then uh, but I'll still roll over and move around. And when I do, uh, I'll wake up, which kills the sleep. But it, when I wear the recovery guard, I don't move. And so it's um, it's almost a one to one. And uh, so I, you know I've been pretty good for about the last year charting my sleep. And uh, I can I can literally tell you the days that I that I wore the recovery guard, pouring the days that I didn't, and like the sweet sleep quality was dramatically better. Yeah, that's uh, interesting that you bring that up. Um, I, I think most of what what I do is really driven by airway issues, um, and the tendency is is as we wear our teeth down, our t- our jaw is going to tend to have to migrate up and back. So we start to occlude that airway, and we're the only mammal alive or living on the planet that has a collapsible airway, and so there is a lot of uh, obstruction that can occur throughout the breathing system. It might be through your nose, it could be your tonsils, it can be your adenoids, it can be your tongue. Uh, the tongue is attached to the back of the throat, it's attached to your mandible, it goes down into the throat right to above the trachea. And as we fall asleep, that airway can begin to collapse. The first sign of it's snoring, right, as that airway starts to get smaller and air, air is going through there, the tissue starts to flutter. Um, as it gets a little further and beyond that, then you can completely have collapse of the airway and you can have an obstruction. And then you start having the apneic events where you don't, don't breathe. You can't get into REM sleep without breathing. Sure. And if you stop breathing or if your brain senses you stop breathing, then every, it sends a, a little burst of um, hormones to the, to the body to have little micro arousals where you just wake up. Sure. And so repeatedly you continue to wake up. And I mean, I've had patients, sleep patients that come to see me that might stop breathing as much as 60 times a minute. Wow. You know, and it, it can be mild, moderate, severe. That would be a severe case, oh, you know? Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, sleep apnea, uh, they, uh, it's like a one-to-one direct mm-hmm. correlation between, like, you know, uh, increased mortality. That, mm-hmm. You know, if, uh, if you're constantly in the sleep apnea state, I mean, they can say, if you have sleep apnea, you will live less. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's just by far the, the biggest changer for longevity, and they talk about, all well, this, um, you, know, uh, you know, life extension and this. Whenever people talk about that, they always think about hormone replacement. Um, I think the sleep is by far the biggest, uh, you know, longevity thing that you can do. If you can find the right mattress, um, like, like my shoulder's fucked. I mean, I tore my infra, infraspinatus and I've tore my rotator cuff and I've put it off for a bunch of years. And finally I'm at the point where I'm like, man, I got to get this done just because it started affecting my sleep. Mm-hmm. So other than that, like, I was like, ah, I don't really have as much range of motion, but I'm okay. The minute that it was affecting my sleep, I'm like, I got to get this thing fixed. And it's just because, um, the more research we do, we realize that, uh, you know, probably the healthiest thing you can do for your nervous system and the body and just, you know, being able to starve off sickness and illness is exercise. The other major one is sleep, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can't really, I mean, I remember before when we talked to Inky, uh, years ago, we were like, Dr. you know, Tom Inkledon yeah, for the, yeah, for, for the people we, uh, and Luke posed a great question. He goes, if you had a choice of either great sleep, great exercise or great food, what would you select? And what did he say? I think, I think he, he said exercise. He said exercise because and he like purely scientific research based. He's like, there's more research that says 
biomarkers for health are improved through, through exercise, exercise versus the others. And then we asked him about a year ago the same question. Everything what changed. Like, everything changed. <laughs> and he's like, it's sleep. Yeah. He goes, it's, it's by far, uh, if you can protect your sleep, um, it's by far your biggest performance enhancer. And so, uh, you know, finding any way, and that's why, you know, like either using the rest mat or, um, um, you know, the, the uh, recovery guard, like it, it's a game changer. Mm -hmm. Like that's yeah. uh, I, like I remember the first night I slept with that. I think I, I texted you back and I was like, "Dude, this is this is unbelievable." And you're like, "Well, how was it in the training?" I'm like, "Ah, like the like mm -hmm. like the training will be the training." And I, uh, I you know I know exactly you know because I think we, we did a ton of testing and we did a bunch of dynamic work. I remember we were using the Tendo with the Active Guard. Uh, geez, years ago, we were going in and measuring like you know ability to generate force and speed, and it was you know anywhere from ten to fifteen percent mm -hmm. uh, vertical jump. Everything went up when we started using the guard, so it was huge for for me personally. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Um, we've we've done some testing to performance testing, and the numbers are the, are similar on cyclists. For, for we did some time trial testing at Mellow Johnny's in the lab with the guard and without the guard, and. Without training with it, just, you know, we we're just blind testing. And it well, was you even had me come in and do some testing recently mm -hmm. at that uh, PT clinic, which was funny because yep. yep. uh, uh, the hilarious part was they had us do that, like, head, like, isometric hold. And yep. I was like, like, 10 minutes later, 12 minutes later, the lady's like, seriously, just fucking put your head down. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had to toss his date out because he was an outlier. <laughs> <laughs> High score? You broke it? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Like, crushed it. Crushed it. Like, we were laying on our stomach, and all they wanted you to do is, like, lift your head and hold it in an isometric hold. And I was like, well, what's a good time? And they were like, I don't know, like 10, 15 seconds. And, like, literally, like, 24 minutes later, I'm still in this position. Yeah. And the lady's like, how can you hold your head like that? I'm like, honestly, uh, I constantly think about pushing my head back because I'm so focused. Um, I know that kyphosis and rounding of the upper back and some of the issues come where all of a sudden people come forward with their heads. It's from you know iPhones, driving, everything that we do. So I'm always super focused on pushing my head back, which is something we teach at our seminars. Yeah, and so like that position for me, I'm like, this is my strongest position. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were testing uh, deep cervical flexor extensor muscle strength and endurance for the ability to, to, to strengthen the neck by putting someone in a, in a quote-unquote mouth guard that aligns the jaw. And so John was part of that test, and he, like I said, he just blew it off the charts. But everybody showed. I think the, the worst we had was 30% increase in strength, the worst. You know, and recent current in, uh, research says that if you increase neck strength by one pound, it equates to a 5% reduction in your probability of getting a concussion in contact sport. Yeah. So uh, what, that's kind of another side piece we're looking Which at. Which is what I've yeah. said for years is that, um, you know, people always ask, like, oh, you know, lifting weights yeah, and this. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, dude, I, I wrote an article years ago when somebody asked me about concussions and neck injuries. I'm like, dude, the reason I lifted weights and I trained and I deadlifted and I always did a ton of trap and neck work was because uh, that was by far my biggest ally in not only, you know, avoiding injury, uh, because, I mean, as anybody, you know, Luke can attest, especially in the NFL, like if you get uh, repeated stingers, you have neck injuries, like you can't play through that stuff. Like your knee might be swollen, you, my shoulder mm -hmm. might be fucked up, dinged up, they can get you back. But if you, if you all of a sudden start developing stingers, uh, there's really no way, like once you go down that road, it's pretty much the end of your career. Yeah, I had a, one of the players that, that, that a team engaged me for was a stinger player, tight end that just had constant chronic right arm stingers. And when I met him, he said hi to me, very nice guy, but his head was rotated left, side bent left. <laughs> He's just looking at me like that. I'm like, dude, your brachial plexus, it's already stretched. I mean, all you need is just a little glancing blow and stretch it a little more, and there goes your stinger. Sure. You know? And his jaw alignment completely off. His left TMJ was dislocated, so we reduced the disc and made him a mouth guard that he could close into, head straightened out, and 
decrease in frequency of stingers. He still got them, but he didn't get them as much as he did. Sure. You know, you know I, I never had any jaw issues until I was in high school and uh, I got into a, uh, well, we got jumped by some fucking bad people and I got hit in the face with a bottle. And uh, and my jaw was fucked up for a long time. And, glass uh, jaw. Oh, I, I didn't get knocked out because if we had gotten knocked out, we well, would have died. It glass that hit your jaw. Oh, thank God the guy hit me with a fucking Corona <laughs> bottle because if it had been a Michelob, I would have been dead. Uh, <laughs> so this fucking asshole hits me with a bottle and it comes across my face. And uh, ever since then, like I can feel like I'll wake up some mornings and like my jaw will kind of like click and pop, yeah. and I'll pop and then I'll be fine for the yeah. rest of the day. Yeah. Uh, when I wear the bite guard. Um, never have any issues mm-hmm. and it i mean it's it's like and, and it's pretty funny my wife uh in the middle of the night will be like she'll either go up if i forget to put it in we'll go get it or yell at me until i go get it mm-hmm. like, go get your guard go get your guard and i'll be like okay and i'll get up or she'll just go get it well you've, you've got definite wear patterns on your teeth i mean i can tell you clinch and grind your teeth and the tmj is unique and that we've got two of them connected together by the mandible it isn't a hinge like your elbow or your knee it can move in all three dimensions right so uh, the way the joint ultimately aligns itself when you apply load to it, it's really dictated by the way your teeth fit together. His teeth fit together in such a way that it compresses the joint. And if you compress it enough, it'll end up displacing the disc of cartilage that lives within that joint that prevents the condyle of the lower jaw from rubbing against the bone of the skull. All right, on the knee, you've got, you got cartilage wrapped around the knees, and it's just cartilage rubbing on cartilage that's attached to the knee. And the jaw, it's a disc of cartilage that's mobile and has to move with the jaw. Popping and clicking starts when you start to compress the joint too much. So his uh, pop that he was hearing was the fact that he was probably clenching his teeth at night. He was compressing the joint. He displaced the disc. And then when he opened up, he opened up enough to recapture it, but it's recaptured, and the sound is like a shotgun sometimes. Well, what's crazy yeah. is I never had that issue, and then I got hit. Yeah. And then it, it, literally, it started, trauma. and I always think the trauma, like yeah, something totally. misaligned. Totally. It did. I had, I've had patients come in from trauma. One girl came in. She was in a car accident. Side airbag blew up, hit her in the jaw. Same thing. Instead of a beer bottle, it was an airbag. And she immediately had a change in her bite. She immediately was unable to open because of the damage in the TMJ. That's acute trauma, what John's talking about. What I see more often is chronic trauma due to the way the teeth fit together. And we close our teeth probably 3,000 times a day, either eating or chewing or just swallowing. Uh, Clinchers and grinders can be more than that. And so that repetitive trauma and the fact that we can load literally a ton of force into our skull during the day leads to displacement of the disc. That can lead to misalignment of the jaw. Torque in the jaw goes straight to the upper cervical spine and you start twisting the allison axis in different directions. Next thing you know, you got neural shear, you got limited range of motion, you've got forward head, forward yep. shoulders, you know, just all that stuff. So, so Dr. Greg, how does so that that long-term trauma, I guess we'll call it, like why don't why aren't we just wired to know how to chew? Like why does that have to develop? Does that make sense? I mean, you asked me that question at my office. I know, but now yeah. we're getting recorded. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So I don't think I'll change my answer. I don't even remember what I told well, good. you. Good, I don't remember either. So let's yeah, a lot, a lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of it is about just growth and development. To mm-hmm. be quite honest, you know, um, and we do whatever we have to do to make sure our back teeth touch before our front teeth. You cannot activate your masseter muscles if you do not engage your back teeth, your molars and your premolars. If your front teeth touch, you can try as hard as you might. You will not be able to activate your masseter muscles. The minute you get force on your back teeth, you can. Those are our rock crushing muscles, all right? So we learn to put the jaw into a position that most approximates our posterior molars and premolars so that we can chew food. So it's a slow, 
I mean, it's worse than watching. Well, there's there's a bunch of development stuff. Like, for example, like a baby's first, uh, like, you know, their ability to suck, like Mm -hmm. from like, let's say, like being breastfed opposed from a bottle is like a different effect. So they know that the baby's palate develops differently being breastfed and not as many children are breastfed. The other one, and I'll go back to that book, Deep Nutrition, where they uh, looked at, went back at all the pictures of Weston Price's, um, you know, people that he observed for his deal, and they were able to look at the jaw development, which is dramatically different, uh, the people that were eating more of a hunter-gatherer type uh, environment where they actually, you know, less processed more chewing, higher protein kind of diets had dramatically different jaw structures and face structures than the people that had a more westernized, that had a more narrow jaw. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, they Mm -hmm. show them side by side uh, all the measurements in that book. Mm -hmm. And um, you think about uh, nutrition for children at a young age and then also developing the palate through that sucking motion being primary developers for the job not developing fully. And then, and then all of a sudden they run into a guy like Dr. Greg who tells them that, Hey, you know what, all the, you know, this hasn't developed properly. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, uh, the first days of not only, you know, in birth and, you know, being fed, but also how, you know, the food that they're, you know, not only fed as children, but also that their mothers ate in the process. And we know that through birth fit that, you know, mm-hmm. that the better the mother's diet, exercise, all these other factors drive baby's health and, and greater development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tendency is if, if you don't have like what John's talking about, that the upper arch won't grow as wide as it should. And if you can't, I call it parking the car in the garage. Usually when we close, if you pull your lips back and look in a mirror, you'll notice that your lower teeth, when you close, kind of fit inside your upper teeth. They do that because typically the upper arch, your maxilla, will grow wider than your mandible does. If you don't have the proper diet as a child, what will happen is is your palate will grow up vertically. Your upper arch will stay narrow. Your, Your nasal passages will become less open. You'll start to become a mouth breather. Your lower jaw will start to grow at a steeper angle instead of more level, kind of with horizon. It'll grow at a very steep angle. You get a really long lower face height. The forces. I feel that like are, you're describing me. No, well, no, all no, I no, ate no. was well, spaghettios as a well, fucking kid. Well, so so think about this. Breathing dummy. Actually, yeah. <laughs> actually, <laughs> the, uh, the the narrowing of the nasal is pretty interesting because when they looked at the faces, they were much more narrow within the nose. So the the people that they observed that it had the more traditional had a wider nose bridge, wider jaw, mm-hmm. and uh, just it was just a, a much better breathing environment. Yeah, it's it's all airway driven again. I think it's all airway driven. We're dealing with accumulation of trauma over years and years and years in TMJ. Uh, pain patients, but it, a lot of it's just about the angle too of the force that's applied into the socket where the mandible seats, you know, and if that force is too distalized, slowly you're going to have posterior jaw creep. And as the jaw goes back, we begin to occlude our airway. And then as the airway becomes occluded, we start to put the head forward. And so typically heads are 12 pounds, you know, big guy like John, maybe a little bit more than that, but every inch the head moves forward, you can yeah. essentially add 10 pounds to it. Um, so you know, like when we have guys in and we do the vertical load testing, you know, and yeah, you, yeah. you notice that, you know, we put vertical load, unless you're text, because he's perfectly formed, evidently. One of the few people that Glad we got tested. that on record. Yeah, yeah but the problem is... Well, the problem is, is, is because he's in bite size form. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Well, like there's normal Snicker bars, and then there's ones you get on Halloween. So like there's normal humans, and then there's like the Texas that you get on Halloween. <laughs> but yeah. let me, for fun, our listeners, and John, size. to fill you in, uh, we Tex and I did go to Dr. Dr. Greg's like two, three weeks ago, yeah. right? We yeah. got, so I kept Dr. Greg as my uh, uh, secret, like, um, you know, as my like training fucking ally in this thing. And then finally I was like, oh, I feel so bad for you guys. 
guys. Let me introduce you. But, Finally, uh, after all these years. But <laughs> we go there and we're getting tested and everything, and it turns out like I'm a little jacked up, and I, you know maybe you can expand. I, I don't yeah. care. Uh, but mentally or emotionally, everything, man. Physically? I was crying. He was hugging me. My pants were off. It got it's weird. It's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Hey, it's not your fault. So then he gets not a text. you, man. So then he gets a text. He's like, "Man, you're put together perfectly. You should be performing like an like an all star." And I'm like, "Text, hang on. You are you have you, you are." Structured perfectly for optimal performance, and this is what you give us. I've reached my genetic uh, potential. Optimal performance. That's what he's structured for. for. And look what he's done. Nothing. Uh, no. Nothing. I out. I out. It's one look. I outperform. I remember the piano. The, the piano. Fuck. Uh, what is it? The piano necktie. Piano key necktie. Yeah. <laughs> I I reached my peak. That's it. You I literally peaked. Hit and my genetic potential. What like what? Like six? Like sixth grade? Yeah. And no. what Dr. Greg was telling me, he's like, man, you're so jacked up. I can't even believe that you you know, you can get out of bed. But here I am, day in and day out, hustling, carrying the weight of the world well, on my shoulders. I you told know? you guys I have a genetic, uh, you know, uh, AMPD-1 issue where, you know, I'm, you know, can't exercise. So, <laughs> so uh, this is the joke. So I, we got our genetics done and I got this email from the, from like the, the head of like MIT is doing this big genetic study that I have this rare genetic condition that um, uh, doesn't allow the body, I, I want to say, like break down protein and redu- and results in extreme muscle pain from injury or from exercise, mm-hmm. and also um, makes you susceptible to rhabdomyolysis and uh, you know bad muscle strength and like poor muscle tone and all this stuff. And like literally, he's like, we ran it uh, ninety four times. You have this one hundred percent. So he calls in a red alert. He's like, you better not be exercising. Right, it's unhealthy for you. Right. So so like, so, so the guy hits me up, and uh, I was like, well, that's weird because I played you know ten years in the NFL, competed in the CrossFit Games, did all this stuff, and I lift weights. And uh, I asked him, I'm like, well, what does this mean? And the guy hits me back. He's like, it just means we know nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> this is this, this yeah. is the dude from like MIT who's running like the most, you know, long advanced study of genetics. And he's like, uh, like, we know nothing. He's like, there's a, you know, you have this, but there's some other gene that we haven't identified that completely fucking supersedes and overrides this mm-hmm. because based on, and he sent me all the research and I'm reading it and I'm like, I'm totally going to use this as an excuse in our training group. I'll be like, ah, I got my AMPD thing, and it's like this. And um, uh, so I got my wife tested as well. So he looked at hers, and I'm like, would the kids have it? He's like, no, she doesn't have it. I'm like, yes, thank God. <sighs> Good. So, yeah, so weird, huh? But uh, so the, the um, let's get back to text being perfect. How was he perfect? What was the test? Because he has square feet, Greg? like Legos? Uh, well, I, I also yeah. did not have braces ever. It could have could have been it. I don't oh. know. I do. Well, so um, they're typically like you know numbers show that eighty percent of the walking talking population's got a jaw relationship that isn't perfect. All right, he's just one of the few that evidently has. Ladies, do you hear that? Texas has got some uh-huh. pretty good genetic Ooh, makeup. Texas. Right. So right. so right. so if you're interested in meeting mm-hmm. text, please shoot an email to uh, Callie at powerathletehq.com. Mm-hmm. So typically, is when we Ooh, when we do the little vertical load test, what what I'm really checking for is center of gravity, like where is head position relative to you know where it ought to be. And so what we basically do is just have an athlete stand there, one hand on top of the other, about an inch off the chest, biceps nice and activated, feet in a good position, just vertical load as you're clenching on your teeth. And just usually I'm looking down at the feet to see, all right, are they going to rock up on their toes? If they rock up on their toes, it tells me their head position's a little forward, okay? So then great, all right, reset, shake it out, put the bite registration in the mouth, load again. Typically what I'll notice is, A, they don't rock forward at all, they're solid on their heels. And the athlete will notice that they feel immensely stronger. Kelly loves this test. This is his favorite one. Um, 
So, yeah, of course it worked on our boy Luke yep. here. But on Tex, I don't know, he just seemed like seated on his heels either way. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you got heavy bones. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. He's uh, heel heavy. That's well, not as I mean, not as heavy as a few other people at this table. Yeah, lighter than they can't other. keep their balance when <laughs> Dr. Greg pushes on their hands. I mean, yeah. Luke does have the highest bone density of recorded mm -hmm. history. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is true in Texas. I mean, dude, it was crazy. Like in the, like, Texas, like, according to body spec. Yeah. Well, I, my I, Z score, uh, man, four point one. I, I gotta think there might be an issue with that one because I mean, just looking at Tex, I mean, he has a lot of bone in that head. Yeah. No, he's a bone. <laughs> oh, I'm hard headed. For sure. He's got. He looks like he's got a forehead of a dolphin mm -hmm. you know yeah, yeah super head. smart like a dolphin <laughs> <laughs> so dr greg yeah you took us all through the jaw alignment yeah so walk our listeners through what you're looking for and the, the the goal at the end of it so the goal at the end of it is to identify again where does the lower jaw want to be when the muscles that support it are at rest all right um, tendency is when we walk and talk or we're just sitting still and our teeth aren't together, our lower jaw is going to be about two millimeters away, the teeth will, from the upper teeth. So if you've got, say, a jaw that you have to pull back and swing to the right to get your teeth together, you're going to tend to kind of hold your jaw there in ready position to close and touch those 3,000 times a day. That, in effect, will lead to the torque in the neck. And so if we see a jaw relationship that isn't coincidental with uh, neutral jaw position, then we want to correct that. So what I'm looking at when I, when I, when I do a, a fitting for an athlete is, number one, where do the teeth go together when they close? And I usually look at the midline of the upper front teeth and the lower front teeth. They don't always have to be perfectly in alignment when you close because some people's teeth just don't fit that way. Um, so I look at that first, and then after relaxing the jaw and finding out where jaw neutral is, I'll again look at those two reference points. And if there's a difference in the frontal lateral, like if you're looking straight at person and the jaw was to the right when they closed down their teeth, but then when you relax the jaw, it swings back to the left, that's a super important um, area to detort because that torque goes straight to the neck. Then there's a vertical component, wherein usually when we close and you measure from gum line to gum line of the front, two front teeth, top and bottom, the most directly opposed two front teeth, it should be about 17 millimeters of vertical there. So I'll look at that too. And the tendency is, again, as we wear our teeth down that vertical to start to collapse, is that vertical collapses, the space that our tongue has to live in behind the teeth starts to become occluded. And I call it the tongue cave. As the tongue cave gets occluded, then the head's going to start to pitch forward, maybe rotate side bend to help maintain a more open airway. So I'm looking at three things. I'm looking at vertical. I'm looking at the frontal lateral position. And then the final most important thing is the AP forward backward position. Um, so comparing all those things, the jaw always in pathology is going to go up and back. As the jaw goes up and back, the head goes forward. When we release the jaw down and forward immediately, the head's going to move back. And that's why we can test with a vertical load and go back and forth all day long, test you on your teeth, test you on the bite. It's going to do the same thing every time there's a the balance center of the brain's the cerebellum. The trigeminal nerve is actually connected through the, through the trigeminal nerve to the cerebellum from the premolars and the molars. So that proprioceptive touch is really what kind of helps set uh, head position. Um, there are other things like visual acuity, those types of things too that can, can affect balance. But that jaw relationship is a big piece of it. So that's why the instant the teeth touch, whether it be on a bite registration, whether it be on an appliance that I make for a pain patient, or a mouth guard like John's got in his mouth right now. He's, did you put it in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He loves it. <laughs> Sitting here. Uh, dude, I drive with it all the time. 
You know what? It's so funny that you say that because a lot of people do that. It, yeah. it, again, it's about putting your head in that neutral position. Tendency is for it to go forward. He focuses a lot on keeping his head back. Posture is important, you know, um, because it is going to affect the whole chain. So it's not abnormal to have people that say, I wear it when I, when I drive. Yeah, I wear I, it when I live. I love right? it. Yeah. yeah. No, driving is like by far my favorite time to wear it. So there's three dimensions I look at, vertical AP and frontal lateral, and those are the things you want to correct. And, I mean, a discrepancy in my world is tenths of a millimeter. Yeah. You know, it's super, I mean, this is a very in-tuned, you get a hair in your mouth, you can feel it. And that's, you know, that's 0.76 microns in width, and you can almost feel it between your teeth. So a minor change in a bite can lead to major changes in alignment of the neck. There was a pretty interesting study done on rats, not on humans, where a couple of dentists put some big fillings on one side of a rat's jaw. Took an x-ray of the rat's spine before they started, and it was perfect. Took an x-ray a week later after putting two high fillings in on one side of the rat, and his, their, their spine was scoliotic. So it is real important to make sure that when you close, you know, your bite is balanced on both sides. Both sides touch at the same time. There's no pitch on roll to the bite because that can lead to just degradation of alignment of the spine. And then that in some people can lead to pain. Not all people, but in some people it leads to pain. So, Dr. Greg, mm -hmm. and maybe I'll throw this out for the table, right? How is, uh, how is the, the appliance that you put together, it's not meant to be, is it a lifelong fix or are we supposed to progress towards not needing it? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it depends on how you're trying to engage. You know, if you're engaging, you know, as an athlete like John is here or like you guys are, or like Kelly does and the athletes he sends to me, it's really used to kind of fool the system. Mm -hmm. um, and I've used it more on a performance side, um, you know, to help correct misalignments that maybe prevent people from being as optimally productive as they can or having, you know, like Erin Cavaro had cracked ribs and she couldn't, was having a hard time qualifying for, I think, uh, the London Olympics. And the reason she had fractured or micro fractures and stress fractures in her ribs was because her jaw alignment is so far off that she couldn't heal. So we corrected her alignment. Kelly sent her to me. I put her in a guard. She went, he told me from, you know, nobody wanted to copy her style in the boat to being the person that, hey, that's perfect form right there because we corrected her head position. Mm -hmm. and, her, and her ribs healed up, and she went to the Olympics, got another gold medal. So just interesting things like that. I think it's, it, it depends on how you want to apply it. None of you guys are really in pain. John's got some issues with his jaw popping, but he's not a chronic pain patient. I've got alignment issues with my bite too, but I'm not a chronic pain patient. I use an alignment guard when I work on long cases. I use my um, guard when I race my bike because if I don't, my right side, my right hip, my right knee hurts. Um, you, know, you apply it that way. If you're, if you're a comfortable human but you have misalignment, it doesn't mean you can't gain a little bit back of what you innately have within your body. If you're a pain patient, then we approach it a different way. We make a different appliance. We still stick to the same uh, recipe but we want to engage them more like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, essentially give the patient a new bite by making them an appliance that fits on their lower teeth. They eat in it, they sleep in it, basically living at that optimized jaw relationship position. As the head position improves and the spine alignment improves, then their pain tends to go away. And then ultimately we can do one of three things, it just depends on the condition of the patient. Um, my friend that I told you about earlier, the, my swing dance friend, Jill, she had worn her teeth down to the point where once we had found her bite position, we needed to build them back up. So in her case, we restored her mouth with porcelain and mm -hmm. built teeth that looked the way teeth looked when she was 18, not the way she'd ground them down. 
other patients, they might have nice teeth and just they're in misalignment. So we want to find the bite first, treat the pain, and then send them maybe to orthodontics to move teeth into a certain position that helps maintain that orthopedic alignment like Dr. Geary was doing back in the day in San Diego with his uh, um, orthodontic pediatric uh, practice. Why do some of these issues come? Because I had braces, but not because my teeth weren't straight, it was because I had an overbite. Right. And yeah. so, so they, they put on these like little braces and then I had a headgear and I had to wear that when I was, you know, probably like 10 or 11 years old for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then it went away and it never had any issues. I just always wonder why like uh, these, you know, orthodontic issues happen. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we're great at co- correcting things, but I always wonder, you know, what are the driving forces that lead to them? And then are these indicative of the problems that you see later down the road? Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot a very common category of patient that I see is a patient that went through orthodontics and they had very crowded dentition, usually because their upper arch didn't grow wide enough, so their lower teeth get extremely crowded because they're still trying to park their car, their lower jaw inside their upper jaw, so the lower teeth all kind of collapse in and get crowded, and a, a common way to relieve that crowding was to extract premolars, and premolars are not your front teeth, they're not your back teeth, they're the kind of in-between teeth on the, on the top and bottom, right and left side, and they'd extract four of them usually. Those teeth are seven millimeters wide. So the way that space is then eliminated is they'll take the orthodontist, the teeth on the upper arch, and kind of spread them out and pull them back a little bit, and then they'll close the space on the lower, and it happens so slowly, you just learn how to pull your jaw back to, again, avoid your front teeth hitting before your back teeth. Sure. And so then you start living in that retrusive jaw position for who knows how long. And then eventually it seems like it's more common in, in women than it is in men. But women usually tend to come in from a bicuspid extraction ortho case to see me in their late 20s, maybe into their 30s. Men seems like it's more like in the 40s, you know, early 40s, somewhere around in there. So, again, it's just the adaptive process. Um, some people put up with it really well. All orthodontists will tell you there's some people they try to treat the way that they're taught to treat, and it immediately sets off TMJ, TMD pain, Hmm. and they pump the brakes on that, and then they take the brackets off of them, and then those patients usually sometimes find their way to my office. We identify the right jaw relationship, and then we try to treat to that jaw relationship. So it's a little different way of looking at the... The, the deconstruction, you don't let the teeth drive the bus. You really want the orthopedics to drive the bus. Is there somewhere like uh, for, you know, for kids, for example, if, mm-hmm. if you could go in and make them bike guards mm-hmm. early on that it might prevent them from having some orthodontic issues down the road? Absolutely. Again, orthopedics, you can grow them the right way or the wrong way. My nephew and my niece, same, they exactly they apply to this. They had narrow upper arches. They were becoming mouth breathers. Um, engaged them with an orthodontist that started widening their upper arch. And before you knew it, man, their heads were starting to level, their lower face height wasn't increasing, their jawline was improving, their upper arch was widening, their palate was dropping, they were growing correctly. Now they're nose breathers, not mouth breathers. And and, and that comes from the bike guards or comes from what? This, this, is, this is mainly, this would be an orthodontic engaging and literally moving teeth mm-hmm. and expanding the upper arch because when we're... In adults, our, our palatal sutures fuse, but in kids, it's not. Mm. You know, um, so you can move things. In an adult, you got to go in and section the palate, and then you can move things. But that's oral surgery. Well, kids, you've got the ability to do it, and so it's it's about identifying those people that are at risk early. Um, I think it's better and better and better now than it was. Very rare do we see extraction cases anymore because orthodontists are realizing that's kind of creating some problems over time. Just like people were given tetracycline back in the day for you know, acne and stuff, and then found out, oh, my God, it turned my teeth purple. Well, we don't do that anymore for kids. 
you know. So um, I think everybody's learning and doing it better, and they're realizing it's kind of airway-centric, and it starts, as John said, in an early age, and your diet, and how you're nursing, yeah. and what are you drinking out of, and how's your palate growing. But if you uh, identify it early enough, you can recover, mm -hmm. you know. Um, if you don't, then it's to me, and the teeth are where they're at, and the jaws are where they're at, and the muscles, originations, and insertions, and nerves are all in the same place they were when you were born, and you're going to go out with it that way, but the teeth have moved. And so to deconstruct it, you just want to find out where does the lower jaw need to be relative to the upper and kind of treat to that. Test the theory by doing, I like using removable appliances. I don't do irreversible changes to teeth until we know that we've got positive subjective and objective results. And typically for a pain patient, I'll treat them for six or nine months with a removable appliance that they pretty much eat, live, and sleep in. And then when we get done, like I said, three different ways to go. One, sometimes we can wean them off the appliance if their bite isn't too far off. Um, and they can just turn it into a night guard. And if their symptoms start creeping up a little bit, they'll just use it a little more, bit more during the daytime. Uh, the others are, you know, you got to restore and reconstruct the bite with uh, crowns and that kind of stuff. Or you move teeth orthodontically or maybe a combination of the last two. Man, this shit seems terribly complex. Like, how long have we been tracking some of this pain, these pain symptoms or uh, structural alignment symptoms to shit like your how your teeth line up. I, well, mean, is I this, mean, is this a uh, new thing? Is this, I think so. I mean, um, you know, I think when people were in pain before they just chalked it up to like, you know, Hey, uh, uh, you know, your, your shoulders in pain, obviously your shoulder has an issue and then they go on and they do a surgery and then your shoulder doesn't work. But then you, you know, you go and you figure out like alignment issues, first rib, what does it look here? And I think now we're being smarter in terms of like, instead of just it always being this kind of acute deal, like your shoulder hurts, yeah, local. let's go to the shoulder. Uh, it's like, um, you know, a lot of times like back injuries, you know, mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, uh, my back hurts. Well, why does your back hurt? You know, instead of and just like, Hey, let's just go do a surgery and like replace a disc. Yep. Let's, uh, let's figure out why the back is hurting. And Matt Zanis has got a great quote that I like, treat the donut, not the hole. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and back pain, low back pains are I see that all the time, you know, and again, it's about the 12 pound head turning into a 40 pound head. And when we vertically load you and you have more force, once we correct your jaw relationship, the reason is those low back muscles aren't now supporting your 40 pound head. They're supporting your 12 pound head and you're using them now to resist that vertical load. Mm -hmm. That's why when you're under, when you were doing your measurements and you were, you were seeing positive um, numbers as far as able to produce power, it's because you're stacked better and you can load better and you can push better, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interconnected. Um, I didn't realize it as a, as a dentist, uh, early on in my career, we're not taught that in dental school, everything I'm talking to y'all about, I learned after I got out of school. And then I learned everything I'm really talking to you guys about after I met Alan Lim and Kelly and guys like John and just have been working at this for, like I said, 12 years at a high level with really intelligent people that are looking outside the box. You know, um, there was a guy in Philadelphia named Sean Holes that I learned a lot from um, because he had attended this place called the Postural Restoration Institute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There yeah. you go. So Sean was a pre-guy, and he understood about teeth and occlusion and airway. And when I went in and talked to him, I mean, I wasn't talking to him for three minutes. And just like John said, when he met me, he's like, I've been looking for this all my life. Yeah. I just didn't know where to find it. And because it's not taught in traditional dental schools, it's just not. Well, I mean, I mean, just to go back for what we were talking with Cal Dietz, you know, the idea of people holding their breath and pushing their belly out and locking into that position, shutting the nervous system down, same thing. I mean, what you're doing is you're artificially creating stability. And we talked about task-specific tension, but the idea of like, I'm going to use my belly full of air to create stability where there isn't any. 
you know? And so now all of a sudden I have a better bite and, and instead of pushing my belly out, I can actually draw in my trunk and stabilize and just do these things. So it's kind of a systemic approach. Mm-hmm. Just read, makes sense. And I've read things to um, a researcher at uh, USC and he felt like if, uh, you know, forward head posture can lead to almost 30% reduction in your ability to inflate your lung because as the head goes forward, you're not able to engage your scalenes and your infrahyoid muscles on that first rib, just like John was talking about, yeah. to lift up and, and create the proper breathing pattern. So, and honestly, I, I thought it was crazy for a long time until I read this, but I can notice this on the bike when I'm riding. I'll stop and you can't eat with these things in. So I take it out and I put it in and I'll eat and I wait until I get most of the food off my teeth and put it back in. And it's funny, man, the first two breaths after I get it back in just feel like they're so much better. Well, think about too, I mean, especially like, I know you do mountain biking, but uh, the guys that are doing the road bikes, the position they're in is such an awful fucking position. Every time I see those guys riding, I think to myself, God damn it. Like they, like, I mean, head forward, back arched. I mean, and they're in this kind of egg shape. It kind of reminds me of uh, like an airplane seat. You know, that's like, have you ever looked at like airplane seats, how they're built? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're built kind of like an egg. Like we sit in them, which I think the reason is, is if you get into a crash, they'll fucking snap and break your neck so you die. Uh, <laughs> but but that's why airplane seats are so uncomfortable because anatomically they looked at like, you know, think about eggs. They can pack, you know, a dozen eggs into a container. The, the seats are basically built the same way to put the most amount of seats on the plane. So they were pretty sharp. Like there's a way to build a seat. That's why you look at the first class seats are dramatically different. I mean, obviously they're wider, but the shape, they actually follow a lumbar post from the egg. And, um, just that position whenever I see the cyclists are always in that kind of forward. And I'm thinking to myself, God, every time I get off an airplane, my back is sore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I always wonder for those guys, if something like this becomes almost like a lifesaver because it's counteracting the position they have to be in to be effective. Yeah. I have a lot of cyclists that use it now and I, and, uh, it's, it, I've had a guy rode in the tour with it, you know, and he liked, he said he could climb better with it. He could breathe better with it. But the big issue in cycling is eating because you got to eat pretty frequently and it, and it just, I think that becomes a little bit of a game changer for them. It's like, man, this is kind of a pain in the ass. It's, I got to take it out and I drop it. If I don't have it and I'm not used to it. I always so. thought like wearing it around your neck, like being able to kind yeah, of wear it, like, right. so you can just spit it out, which is what yeah. I did. I, I always attach my mouthpiece yeah. to my helmet yeah. because uh, like if you get dirt in your mouth or this or you're, or you're breathing real hard, I would just spit it out. It would hang. Yeah. And then I would just kind of push it back in. But I always thought for those guys, if they had it around like a strap around their neck, they could just spit it out when they eat. And then once, you know, they spit it out, they could just reach and put it back in. Yeah, road cyclists are a little too concerned about how they look. (laughs) So they're not going to do that. But there was one guy named Lucas User that did race in the pro peloton for a long time. And he did. He would tie a piece of floss around it. Yeah. Yeah. So he wouldn't lose it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, man. It puts you in a funny position. It's all about repeat, uh, removing impedance in the system. Like I said, we did a, we did a test in, on ergometers, and the guys averaged 11 watts more at a time trial effort, which is a lot at the top end, sure. you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's applicable. It's just, you know, just like anything, you, you can only work with the willing, <laughs> and it's kind of hard to get the willing in that community sometimes. But I do have a lot that use them, yeah. So is there a over-the-counter, like, just go buy it at Walgreens version of this shit, or does this ha- stuff have to be, like, laser crafted yeah there's some like under armor's got a product you know um oh yeah yeah i mean but but can't you like buy it and don't don't you like do an impression and then send it off or something yeah there's there's lots of different iterations of it you know there's some other companies that are doing it um i think you know the custom fit's always going to be the best um you know there's some other stuff that's over the counter that gets kind of closer to the bullseye i always talk about it's just throwing like throwing darts at a dartboard anything is closer to the bullseye is gonna it's gonna help you yeah you know it's it's kind of like buying custom cowboy boots Opposed from off the shelf cowboy oh, yeah. boots. Would the, you say, Tex, that the custom cowboy boots are better? Ooh, baby. 
It feels so good. <laughs> putting them on. I put them on yesterday yeah. for LTC, LTC fans. Uh, PFD. PFD. Feel great. But it's not the adjustment. So my senior year of college, we did custom where we bit down, sent it off, and then got mailed, yeah. personalized yeah. mouthpieces. I should have brought it in, so got it. But it, it, there was no adjusting. It was mm-hmm. just what we had. Mm-hmm. Yes. What was natural to you, which might not be the optimal bite. Right. Yeah. And tendency because you're is taking Corona bottles to the mouth. And usually, you know, when you try to clench or close on something, you're <laughs> <laughs> butt chug. Yeah. Yeah. Butt chug. I mean, they call that the Naperville special. There is a movie with John Cena. I know. I've seen it. Yeah, we wa- didn't, didn't we watch it I on a car to, ride? No, I told you to watch it. It was uh, uh, the one where they go on date or the kids go out. or Cock blockers. Uh, blockers. Yeah, cock, yeah. yeah, blockers. <laughs> Dude, he's fucking awesome in that movie. People, hey, intern, put that on the list. Blockers. Uh, John Cena is going to be the next rock, but he's not going action star. He's going pure comedy. He's got a pretty good straight lace comedy. <laughs> I mean, he was great, great in that movie. Uh, what the hell were we talking about? Uh, stick, sticking beer bottles in Texas' ass. Uh, but, Joe, but, but, I'm sorry, but, but. <laughs> Dr. Greg can handle these. Like, what the hell? Did <laughs> this I get is into? great. I love it. <laughs> so much better than working on teeth. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, my biggest thing, and, and this is probably uh, the one question I have uh, for a dentist, is um, how do you deal with people's bad breath? Hmm. Uh, like I know, like if I'm, you know, thank God I'm tall, but I've been in numerous situations where you're talking with somebody and you're thinking to yourself, you're like, I can't even hear what you're saying. It smells like you ate shit for breakfast. Yeah. Like I smell people's breath, like the halitosis, like it drives me crazy if something like to the point where you're like, Oh my God. So now you're in a situation, somebody opens their mouth and you're like, you're rotting inside. You are rotten. What is Mm -hmm. going? Yeah. For me to smell it at this point in my life, it's gotta be really fucking bad to be quite honest. It's kind of become like background noise to me. You know, occasionally yeah. I'll smell it. Usually it's it's literally necrosis in the mouth from gum disease. And that just smells like ass. And you yeah. can smell it when it comes in the front door, like you're talking yeah. about. It didn't necessarily, they didn't get the food off their teeth. It's just like the funk that's growing under the gums Ugh. that is just really gnarly. And that that is that is a whole different situation. Well, we used to get that disease. from ketosis. Uh, mm-hmm. When you were in ketosis, you had like the bad breath. And then, and then we figured out, thank God, Rob Wolf, you fucking little genius figured out that uh if you can supplement with electrolytes and up the salt intake all of a sudden the bad breath goes away see that's coming through your breath that's coming that's metabolic well that's ketone yeah like the ketones getting bold what you're smelling on a patient that has gum disease is literally just odor from tissue dying in your mouth (laughs) dead animal flesh yeah not good stuff and there might be some dead animal flesh so so like when so when they open and and this is pretty interesting i um uh i can't remember who told me this but uh it was um when i was back in california we used to go see a dentist uh you know family buddy of ours and i remember the gal that cleaned teeth uh made an interesting point she's like uh, i usually know people are sick before they do She's like, we've diagnosed cancer uh, for numerous people where we've been like, uh, your tongue is black or you have something weird. You should probably go see somebody uh, mm-hmm. because this isn't healthy. And uh, she said that. And I was like, really? Fuck, I never thought about it. And I, of course, went and did a little research and came to find out that a lot of these tells and a lot of issues you see with not only tongue color, but gums and this are just uh, windows to bigger problems. Yeah, absolutely. We do. Yeah, I mean, we obviously look at teeth and we look at gums, but we always do oral cancer exams. And then now we're also doing airway screenings for these apnea patients, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's you're right about that. Absolutely. John, yeah. weren't you plugged into something along the lines of like uh, oral health and dental health with psychological 
health? Is there yeah, something there's, plugged um, in there? Yeah, it's, uh, they have a direct correlation between like schizophrenia and emotional like uh, bipolar disorders in this and root canals. Hmm. So Are that, you plugged in on anything like that, Dr. Greg? Uh, psychological Yeah, so, no, so they... too much for me. They found that uh, <laughs> root canals yeah. or people that had had root canals in some form of like abscess or things within their mouth uh, particularly untreated abscess or issues being uh, direct correlation with like schizophrenia, insanity, and, and other major issues. And we definitely talked about it at dinner with Kate because she was looking into it, I guess, with child health and ADHD and all these different possible learning disabilities stemming from mm-hmm. a, an issue with the tooth. Yeah, uh, so baby teeth or adult teeth growing. Yeah, in. so so people that tend to ignore dental issues and have abscess or rotting teeth or this or having problems, uh, it manifesting as um, uh, mental issues. Hmm. So it, and this was just kind of a, a you know straw man poll, but um, I remember uh, Huey, for example, uh, you know used to come train with us. He's a, our engine builder back in California. Huey had like some emotional issues and he was having some issues, and uh, I remember asking him, I'm like. How are your teeth? He's like, oh, I've had like five root canals and I've had all these issues. And I was like, okay. And I just remember having read that that study. And then I asked him and he was really the only person I knew that kind of had some bipolar and had some emotional issues like that. Uh, and I was like, let me ask him. And he's like, oh yeah, I've had five root canals and had all these issues. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so Science. Then, Story checks out. So <laughs> then fast forward to uh, Dr. Tom when I was out in Arizona last uh, he showed me that they went through and they found um, uh, they were testing bacteria and common problems for people like heart attacks liver you know all these different you know kind of like if you went through the top 10 major issues that people run into uh, they were testing them and they found bacteria in uh, you know that was in high amounts for people that had had heart attacks for example uh, they found this bacteria and they traced the bacteria to the mouth mm-hmm. and they found that, you know, let's say you brush your teeth too aggressively and, you know, your gums bleed that the bacteria can go in and it leads mm-hmm. to all these, you know, t- you know, very common issues. Absolutely. So being able like uh, to have good mouth hygiene, uh, being able to brush your teeth and, you know, avoid fluoride and some of the other issues uh, ends up reducing because I uh, he put us into a test and tested us for the levels of like I think it was like 12. Did, did you guys do that? I didn't do it, but it, I, I'm trying. Yeah. It's like 10, 11, or 12 yeah, specific, specific bacteria. bacteria. And, uh, you know, or maybe I did do that. I think you did it. Yeah. Um, so he tested us and found like, hey, these are high, and then prescribed a certain mouthwash and a, a toothpaste uh, to use to, to reduce those amounts. And then I went back and got retested, and they were like zero. Hmm. And so I was like, okay. Um, so, I mean, it, it's pretty fascinating. Like, I think we're going to... You know, and, and dude, you're on the forefront of this, but you're seeing it from performance. I just think that uh, so many things stem back to like mouth, hand, and foot health. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was another one when I, um, I know when we went through the deal with my dad with cancer, the first question that uh, one of the docs asked is like, um, do you have any fungus on your hands or feet? And my dad's like, yeah, I have had this foot fungus for like 50 years. And I was like, is that an issue? And the doctor's like, yeah, uh, systemic um, fungus that you can't cure is, uh, you know, correlates into other ways and is one of the things we want. And then, you know, so people just see these things and they go, oh, it just, it fucking happens. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And uh, instead of just ignoring it, going in and actually dealing with it instead of it just, you know, letting it go because you never know how it's going to manifest. Um, you know, I mean, you know, but here's a deal where my dad was relatively healthy for his entire life and then all of a sudden, you know, gets diagnosed with cancer at 80 and is gone two months later. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, pretty sad for him but uh, and us. But, you know, and then I also think like, how else are you supposed to end it? 
Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I lived a great life. Okay, see you later, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you're supposed to live to 100? Yeah, know? freak hot air balloon accident, right? Uh, I'd like the brick on the accelerator and just set the car so on fire. Dude, so a dude did that in California recently. Like a Put a brick night, on the accelerator and just set the he, car on fire? Had bought some new, like, uh, fucking... I'm trying to remember the model of the car. Some expensive-ass car is a YouTube dude that was selling... Oh, Corvette. Oh, you were no, telling it wasn't me. A, it wasn't a Corvette. It was a... Uh, was it a Lamborghini? No. Ferrari. It, it was Man. something expensive because yeah, I saw it was. this. But uh, he was a YouTuber, a vlogger, video blogger uh, for Counter... Like some game, Counter-Strike maybe? And he used to make... I don't fucking know. He made these little add-ons that people bought. And he um, became pretty... Pretty well off, like made a chunk of money with YouTube, and then they fucking censored his channel or some shit like that. And oh, they changed the algorithm. It was yeah, a McLaren. A McLaren. And oh. he spun out and was going like 160 in the fucking wrong way on the 805 up north in the uh, HOV Ooh. lane and struck a minivan and basically it was just a fucking... Mother and 12-year-old daughter. Yep. Incinerated him. His name was McSkillet. McSkillet. So, so McSkillet. What an asshole. Yeah. yeah. What a douche. So if you're going to do brick on the accelerator, at least don't do it during rush hour. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you're not going to get well, that far, honestly. Well, there was a chick. You remember on PCH? I don't know. I mean, so uh, where we lived in Newport Beach, uh, like the main drag, like PCH, there was a gal that I think... Uh, dude, do you remember over near... Um, uh, what was it? Uh, Dugan's? Uh, what, what was the Irish bar we used to go to? Um, the Shamrock. Yeah. So this yeah. gal in a Shamrock, and like PCH, there's like a ton of lights. I mean, I think it's like max speed 25. Uh, she was doing like 140 at like nine in the morning and hit a car and launched and sent the her car like 70 feet and they looked at the skid marks and they're like she was well over 120 miles an hour and they were mm-hmm. like and she's like i don't know i just lost control you know like i mean like 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 the car was like into a building like yeah. like into a building into a tree and then we were like holy shit how the fuck did that happen so and she survived uh i don't th- uh, maybe she well i know she didn't kill anybody she might have killed herself mm-hmm. but i know she didn't kill anybody but uh she fucked up and they shut down pch for like you know a day well that didn't fuck anything up yeah no that the fucked whole, up the whole entire yeah. fucking universe like pc because that's how we get you know for us getting back at home is yeah, yeah. carmageddon right is that what they're fucking oh yeah when they, they uh, down, like, yeah when, when they shut down the 405 yeah oh yeah for weeks they were like carmageddon's coming months mm-hmm. just don't fucking drive well, let's get into snoring. I've spent a lot of evenings on the road with these two, and uh-huh. they their sleep, it sounded great because I was awake the whole damn time listening to them snore. Who, uh-huh. me? I'm a snorer guy? I don't know. I've, I never noticed that. I, think I never noticed like that. Uh, Harry Shaw's a snorer. Oh, my goodness gracious. He is the worst snorer of all time. If you're listening, Nick Keogh Show, yeah. get some freaking help. No, you, haven't, you didn't stay with the Yunk. The Yunk was like... They, they took a bore and bored his throat out. It was so fucking blocked and occluded. He was the worst. What's Bellowing. So y- y'all were talking about a sleep guard earlier. Yeah, that, I, yeah guess, I need if, to wear that. Yeah. yeah. But let's get into to snoring. Can it be fixed? I'm sure there's some yeah. snorers out there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Again, the, the, it's the collapsible airway. And where is the obstruction coming from? The most common one when you're snoring is your tongue is falling back too far. Fortunately, the tongue being attached to the mandible... Um, there are devices that dentists can make that will move the jaw forward, which essentially is what John's recovery guard is, and that's just kind of what we call it. It's a recovery guard. Lots of companies make uh, appliances. I like this one made by a company called Somnomed. Um, Somnomed makes a really nice, clean appliance. Um, the key is not necessarily the device itself, but it's the position that the lower jaw is put in. 
Um, these things are titratable. So if you look at them, there's kind of like some hardware on the side there that you can yep. literally put a little screwdriver in. You can advance the mandible a little bit further. These are the ones we typically go to that, for example, if you've gone and you've had a sleep study or an at-home sleep study and you're shown that you're having apneic events, then uh, medical insurance pays for the mild to the moderate cases to get you fit for one of these dental devices. Um, it's an upper tray and a lower tray. John's is an upper tray and a lower tray. His is glued together at that position at which we fit his jaw for his performance guard. This one is titratable, they call it. So you're able to, because if, if it's medical, they want to prove that what you're doing is, is actually has some good efficacy to it. So they're going to have some post uh, post um, studies. So they'll send you home and you'll do another at-home test and check your apneic um, events. And if you're still having some or you haven't reduced it enough, we'll advance the jaw another millimeter and then test again. So these things are great. They work really well, um, even for patients that have been uh, diagnosed and, and, and been told to use CPAP, but they're CPAP intolerant. You can sign, sign a little waiver that says, I can't wear a CPAP, and you can get one of these dental devices covered mm. by your medical insurance. So um, yeah, I think there's 40 million people in the U.S. That, that could use one of these things, and it usually starts as snoring. And then as that airway collapses more, it becomes apnea, where you're literally stopping breathing. So snoring is just kind of like stage one of an obstructive issue. So, you know, you might not be having uh, events where you're stopping breathing enough that medical would pay for one of these devices. But if you're snoring and it's keeping your wife out or you out of your wife's bed, then that's a problem, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've had a lot of patients that have come to me and usually it's the wife saying, hey, my husband's snoring. And occasionally it's the husband saying my wife's snoring. So for some reason, the wives never believe it. So I send them <laughs> home with this thing called Snore Lab app and you can download that thing. It's free. You can get it. It's iOS or Mac, and uh, you know it's a free download. You can record your night's sleep. If you're snoring, it'll it'll literally record the sounds of you snoring all the way through the night, so you can listen to it. But it'll rate your snoring. It's called oh. Snore Lab, S N O R E L A B. And it's what do you know the, about this text? Is that playing? No. Got some Snore Lab here. What do we got? That's Ashley. Oh, for real? <laughs> no, that's fucking me for sure. Sandman? So I, ha I do have that app. And oh, I've you been, downloaded it. Well, I have a, a version of version that of it. Okay, that does perfect. a little bit of sleep tracking stuff. I, John was talking about mm -hmm. how he's, for the past mm -hmm. year, has been tracking it, and I decided a month or so ago to start just tracking and seeing how much I snore and if there's foods that affect it, times I eat that might affect it, you know? Like, for example, last night, I may or may not have had a couple celebratory beverages with uh, well, P.F.C. Uh, Stanton. And that that definitely affects Dr. Greg, does, 100%. Right? These guys don't have kids yet. Okay. So I'm waiting for them to have kids. <laughs> Dude, I've got... <laughs> so <laughs> so my favorite part is I'm like, Tex is like, oh, I sleep great. I do all this reading and have this graphic. I'm like, great, I can't wait for you to have kids. Yeah. And then you're going to get like the Cuban Missile Crisis come in and get you. So my, my, <laughs> little, my little boy is uh, getting out of bed, opening his door, and then running and launching himself and spearing me in the head. With, uh, yeah, like And like, uh, like just getting woken up and like uh -huh. him spearing uh -huh. me in the neck. So I started calling him the, the Cashy Missile Crisis. He's like missling at me. I'm like, we're having a crisis. It's like, don't come, in. <laughs> don't come in here. You're spearing me in the head. But I can't wait for you guys to have kids. It'll be great. Yeah. Be like, I got a so system, fun. man. Because uh, Dr. Greg has twins as well. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And when I was going to, when I was deep in the twin fight, he's like, I feel you. It's fucking awful. <laughs> he's like, it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. It does get better. We added a third, too. We had a little surprise guy. But uh, yeah, it's good. So yeah, if you're snoring, I mean, if you're, and if you're, especially if you're a parent and snoring, come on, you need to sleep. So uh, yeah. just, just treat it. There's lots of stuff you can do about it. And I guess for our listeners, this little, this little device to describe it to you guys, <laughs> I guess if you look it up, whoa, excuse John, me, excuse me, blowing our eardrums out. 
the Somnomed, it's like an upper tray and lower tray bite guard looking uh-huh, mouth uh-huh, guard deal. Uh-huh. And it's got right behind the canines and the premolars this like fang looking thing about 15 degree it's, angle. It's we the, call it a wing. The wing. <laughs> well, you know, Luke's dad's a dentist. Oh. Yeah, yeah but he's like an old school. He's like, can you eat food? You're he fine. He did tell me that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. Like, about that. Did you hurt? floss? Does nah, hurt? me does either. It, does it hurt? Can you eat? No. If you're like, no, yeah, then he's like, get the fuck out of my office. You know, so he's not in it for the, you know, he, he's just like old timer, you know, old school. But yes. Sleep medicine and dentistry is a very new thing. I mean, there's probably, you, you asked 15 dentists you know, that maybe <laughs> you might not get one of them to raise their hand and say they mm-hmm. treat it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so uh, it's, 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 it's something that's necessary. I mean, we talked about it a lot already. Yeah. I mean, breathing, it's eat, sleep, drink, breathe. <laughs> you know, what mm-hmm. else is there? You know, you got to do that stuff. Um, so that's what these are for. Um, and again, it's all about, like we were talking about making that tongue cave bigger. Don't let the lower jaw go back. These devices maintain the jaw a little further forward. Tongue attached to the, to the lower jaw keeps the tongue forward and that prevents that collapse of airway. So effective for snorers and apneic patients works great. Boom. What else we got going on with Dr. Greg? Is there anything else we want to ask him? Um, hmm. How about dentist screening? What if your dentist out there is not doing a good job? What do people need to look for to have a quite high-quality dentist? Hmm. That's a good question. Or how do you know they're not just gold yeah, digging that's, and trying well, to do some implants? So I, yeah, okay, all right, there you go. I think that's a, that's a good, that's a, that's a great, actually, that's, that's probably the answer to the question. If you have someone that's always pushing you to do something versus just showing you and telling you and informing you so that you can make an informed decision about what you want to do, you probably aren't in the right place. If you're going in somewhere and they're taking the time to show you and get to know you and they know you when you come back and they treat you nice and they don't push you to always do something, hey, you need veneers or hey, what do you think about your smile or you know what I mean? Just... To me, that stuff, elective cosmetic stuff, it only bothers me if it bothers you. Mm-hmm. So I don't go in there asking every patient that I see, what do you think about your smile? Are, uh, are veneers the same thing as implants? No, veneers are really a, a cosmetic restoration done to improve usually the way your smile looks versus, you know, like if you've worn your teeth so down. So like, like the chiclets? Like when people yeah. just get like the white chiclets. Well, like, you're, yeah, yeah, you can something do that. About Mary. That's, there's, 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 we always call that <laughs> yeah. like the uh, the uh, like in Orange County. That's like a big thing. Like people oh, get like huge. these like yeah. white chiclets. I'm yeah. always like, go drink some coffee because your that's, teeth look fucking. That's crazy. pretty. That's pretty funny because in Texas we make fun of California cosmetic dentistry because it does. It looks like you got those in California. They all want them as white as your toilet. Oh yeah, unbelievable. You know, and they don't look real at all. But you know, out there you sit down in a bar and the next thing you know, somebody sitting next to you is telling you, well, what have you had done? I got these boobs or my face done. Well, the weird part is like just the chick. I mean, I used to call them chicklets, Mm -hmm. but like I'd see people with the chicklets and they were so fucking white. I'm like, how did you get your teeth that white? Yeah, it's not natural. Um, I think, you know, aesthetic dentistry really is, it comes down to two things. Number one, is it bother the patient? And number two, once you engage a ceramist, because the dentist is going to touch your teeth, they're going to prep your teeth, they're going to take impressions, they're going to make temporaries. Usually, hopefully, they make temporaries that look the way you want your final veneers to look because you really need to test drive that change and make sure that you like it. But then, ultimately, it's going to go to a laboratory. And you want it to go to a lab that makes really nice, aesthetic-looking, multicolored restorations. Teeth are not monochromatic. What drove John crazy about the veneers he was talking about is they were really monochromatic, one color. Teeth are not that way. And so that immediately, your eyes see that, and you think something's not right, and we tend to call them chiclets. 
all right? So uh, uh, an aesthetic ceramist that's really an artist with the material, because these are all custom made, custom built, you know, pressed, fired, cut back, layered, fired again, custom shaded, if you do them right, you know? So uh, all those things, if your dentist isn't talking to you about, hey, yeah, I want to get impressions, I want to get pictures of your teeth, and then we're going to design what your teeth's going to look like in the lab, on the models of your teeth. We're going to look at that together, and then once we make your, start your case, we're going to make temporaries that are going to look the way we want your finals to look. And we really want you to like your temporaries, because if you don't like your temporaries, you're not going to like your finals. A lot of people will sit down in a chair, and the dentist will take an impression before they start, and they'll prep their teeth all up, and they'll use the impression of the pre-op teeth to make temporaries. So basically, you walk out looking like you looked when you walked in. Then you come back, and they got a handful of veneers, and they just put them in, and then they'll give you a mirror and go, what do you think? Well, at that point, it's kind of too late to tell them what you think. What you think has to happen while you're test driving your new smile. And so that's the way I like to do it. Um, and I think that's the best way to go can about it. Can you stain it. veneers? S only on the surface. So much like a coffee cup, you know, you can look in, it's like, wow, it's dark. But you clean it, and it's clean. So they don't absorb stain. Teeth, uh -huh. teeth do absorb stain. So that's why teeth over time can get darker, and that's why we can whiten them because we can penetrate whitening solutions into the enamel. How do you whiten? Uh, I mean, I, believe me, I've, uh, I probably drink way too much coffee. I probably need to get something done. But I always thought, like, if I could just brush with, like, uh, baking soda and some hydrogen peroxide, I could probably get it out. I mean, that was kind of the, uh, the old Anti school. Uh, antifreeze. Yeah. So you're, you're, well, you're, and, and it's kind of sweet. Antifreeze is really good on ice cream, too. Yeah. It just helps sweeten it up. <laughs> so you're talking about getting cold. So there's, there's superficial stains and there's intrinsic staining. Superficial stains you can get off with toothpastes, abrasives, those kind of things that we have over the counter. A lot of that's being marketed right now. The big thing right now is charcoal toothpaste. Charcoals mm -hmm. and everything. They put it in yeah. water. I mean, it's just all kinds of stuff. So um, that can help scrub off stains that's just that are adhered to the surface of your tooth. But the stains that have been absorbed through the enamel and into the deeper parts of the tooth, we call the dentin. Those you're not going to get off with some superficial cleaning. So we have we have products now that can kind of penetrate through the enamel into the dentin and literally um, relieve the discoloration that's in the dentin of the tooth. The enamel, the the the, the shell on the outside of the tooth, the armor really is only about a millimeter and a half thick. And it's actually, if you could take it off and look at it, it would look translucent almost. So the color mm -hmm. that you're seeing of your teeth isn't really from the enamel on the outside. It's from the dentin on the inside of the tooth. So we have gels that penetrate through the enamel into the dentin, lighten the dentin, uh, and then that will affect a, a more permanent change. Slowly over time, though, as we're drinking coffee and, you know, the things that have color in them, they can kind of revert and resorb stains. So, you know, people that really want to consistently keep their teeth a certain color, I just tell them every couple of years, come in and give us mm -hmm. two hours and we'll throw you in a chair and do the, the zoom in office whitening works really good. At home stuff is works it healthy good. on um, Is it healthy on the teeth? It, or won't, is it, it won't damage the teeth permanently. The, the, the worst thing that happens is that there's a nerve inside each tooth. The nerve sends little tentacles out into the dentin, the part of the tooth that we're trying to lighten. Uh, and sometimes for about 24 hours, you can get what's termed as zingers, <laughs> which are just all of a sudden for a few seconds, your teeth will just give you this weird zing feeling. Uh, it doesn't feel good. 800 milligrams of Advil every six hours for 24 hours tends to you know, help mitigate that and make it not be a big issue. There's desensitizing gel that we can put in a tray right when we finish. Um, but that's the only real post-operative thing. It only lasts for 24 hours. Doesn't happen to everybody. The younger you are, the more likely that will occur because as we get older, the nerve literally shrinks and gets smaller, so it pulls itself away from the surface of the tooth. So, you know, old guys like me don't typically tend to get too many of those zingers. Young kids, though, and as a matter of fact, I think the 
age limit before you can start it's like 16 or 18 maybe before you can even do the zoom just because the pulp of the nerve is so close to the surface of the tooth that it's just not indicated on those people. have you uh, had 16 year old kids come in for this there have been a few that have wanted to do it usually, oh. but not many and uh and i can't even really yeah. I mean, Not many. I mean, one hand I can count probably. Too some. many chocolate milkshakes. Well, and, and and a lot of them have had like issues with just, you know, teeth, when they develop, I don't know why, they either fall on the yellow side or the gray side. Hmm. And if you have teeth that look kind of gray, you know, usually it's a younger girl and she's kind of getting a little bit, you know, concerned about the way her smile looks. And usually it's because the teeth look a little gray. Is it uh, smoking? Uh, no, it's, no it's, it's it's literally it's entry. No, because it's developmental. I mean, it happens when the teeth are developing in the jaw when they're children. Wow. So I'm not really sure. I don't know the answer to why they're gray or why they're yellow. But that's really the the two sides that we fall on there. The, the teeth that have the yellow orange colors they tend to whiten out easily. Um, younger people that come in that tend to want to do something about their teeth maybe had braces, and if they don't keep their teeth clean and the braces are on, you'll take the braces off and the teeth will have these weird white spots on them. You know, um, so just stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah, what are you pointing at? Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's a good one, Jim. Well, Curry. I'm actually lo look at the one just a little bit down below when it says "I work with." Yeah, yeah, that one's even better. <laughs> it's on our movie list for the intern. Mm -hmm. He's We're never seen at... something about Mary. Nope. Great Favre, Favre, <laughs> Favre. <laughs> so good, man. It's been a while since I've. I think that I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah. Well, man, this I'm another yeah. another. Amazing podcast. Well, just yeah. another subject matter that goes so fucking deep an, that you just another cool friend that I have. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. more voodoo. <laughs> and again, like in the most endearing way, Doctor Greg. Thanks for and, thank yeah. You. We yeah we didn't talk about lifting in the mouthpieces, so we've been kicking those around for mm -hmm. a month. Oh yeah, the the green bites. Have you been using them? Yeah. So what I found. So maybe you can tell me this. On my lower days and back days, works great. But anytime I'm pushing, I think I'm jammed up. I got something going on in my mm -hmm. neck. But when I would bite and push in that thing like a bench press or incline bench press, it just bicep tendon or something, mm -hmm. you know, it just started to light up in my mm -hmm. neck and in my mm -hmm. shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I found that I actually performed better pushing without it. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know that. So we always talk about, you know, relieving or pulling back layers of the onion and finding out right. what's, the, what's the easiest step to Oh, he's first. a big onion. That's, yeah, why, we call him the, that's why we call him the cornucopia. You, yeah, know, you get too uh, deep, man. There's demons. <laughs> yeah, no, we've seen it. it. We know. Make it cry. It might be some, <laughs> it could be something in the shoulder. I don't know. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I, it, it's stacking. It makes sense. I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting uh, subjective perception you have there, but it's uh, something to look at. Probably. Subjective perception, does that mean bullshit? No, Subject. no. It's, it's <laughs> it just means I'm writing uh, that down. It's, it's fantasy. It's <laughs> your fantasy. It doesn't really oh, mean your anything. <laughs> yeah. Your weird <laughs> reality. Right. All I know is you got better when I tested you. So. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no. Cool. Uh, no, again, Dr. Greg, thanks Thank for, for listening. I mean, for anyone who's listening to this, our Power Athlete Nation, our listeners, all two or three, mostly our parents, and I think some guy who accidentally thinks this is like Freakonomics, uh, where should they look you up if they wanted oh, to? Oh, and if they want to come see Dr. Greg yeah, and, yeah. and get a mouthpiece fitted. That's right. Dr. Eckert.com, Dr. D-R-U-E-C-K-E-R-T.com's website. Phone number in Austin's 512-345-3166. And uh, that's a, a uh, business phone, so you can't, yes, you know, is. text dick pics to that. So don't, yeah, don't, don't bother do that, that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, send those to Kelly at Power <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look at text. That's three. Like yeah. your, your timing is getting better. He got his one today. Good job. Buddy. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think he's a little hungover. Yeah. You know, rumor mm -hmm. has it that, uh, you know, you were, you know, tearing it up last night. Uh, mm -hmm. Celebrating. Where'd you go? 
um, a dude's house. <laughs> LTC Spanton had people over for his. Yeah, so uh, Dave Spanton, who uh, works with us, he got commissioned as a lieutenant colonel yesterday. Oh, right on. So, uh, you know, Tex had to really help him you know, seal the deal. Well, nobody else was there. See what those military parties are full uh, of booze. Yeah. I went by. That's, yeah, I did it. Well, anyways, that's it, people. Yep. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you later. Oh, oh bye. To the premier podcast. Sure hey. See you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Dr. Yugurt on Twitter under the handle at Austin's Dentist. And while the hashtag Toast Forward campaign is officially over, that does not mean that I'm going to stop promoting the Power Athlete Symposium. Partially because I like it, and mostly because it's my job. Um, it is slowly replacing Christmas for myself as a Christmas vacation, and for a lot of strong people that I know. It does fall in December. It is on the 7th, 8th, and 9th. And instead of sitting around in your jammies, just exchanging presents, getting soft, think about throwing on a pair of Zuba and a stringer and doing work at the Power Athlete Symposium. If you ask Jesus what he would do, he'd probably say, I will be blasting arms at a 24-hour fitness on my damn birthday. So it's the least we could do. Try to string that logic along. Think about it. It makes sense. Until next time, bye!